just as you're waiting, just allow his Holy Spirit to bless you. To bless your soul. To heal you. To restore you. for some prayer in a bit. One thing, if you're new to this kind of thing, one thing we're trying to do here, I know this guy just beautifully did, is we're just trying to be led by the Holy Spirit. We don't want to kind of just force through what our agenda is for an evening or a service or make sure we get through the content we feel like we're bringing. Really, it's to follow what God's doing because when we encounter the Holy Spirit, when we meet together, that will change things in a way that any other agenda or programs we might have will never change things because we leave transformed when we encounter the spirit our hearts are transformed so that is all we're trying to do in many ways um a couple of weeks ago i spoke about this idea that we all belong to the same body so it's that famous passage in 1 corinthians 12 where paul talks about there's many parts in the body of christ And each part is placed there for a specific reason. God has placed us in the body. And the body is the people. The church is the people of God. It's not the building. And we're here for a reason because we bring something that is unique to the party that enables us to be able to play so that we can be what Paul talks about in Ephesians, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we carry God's power and presence and we take it out of this building. The body of Christ is on the move into the world and fills everything in every way with the presence of God. And we all have a unique part to play in that, depending on how we're created, who we're created to be. And we bring with that our race, our culture, our upbringing, our personalities, how we thrive, everything that we are, we bring to the party in the way that God has created us to be so in a sense unless we're all involved in the body of Christ unless we're all involved in the church as a church we're missing something it's like missing a limb he talks about missing different body parts and the eye saying to the hand that I don't need you when clearly we do we need everyone involved now when we talk about this filling everything in every way it links in a little bit with what we talk a lot about here at church the vision of the church is to see heaven come to southeast London and all we mean by that is the fullness of the presence of God come to southeast London and that's going to happen in and through us so it's the only way it's going to happen until Jesus comes again his plan a for filling everything in every way for bringing heaven to earth 
is his people, his church, the body of Christ, who feels everything in every way. And this is a little bit of a follow-on. We had a break last week because of baptisms. This week, I want to talk a little bit about the kind of things we should expect to see happen in and through us as we go out and become and operate as the body of Christ in the world, filling the world with his power and his presence. And the passage that I'm going to start with, we're going to go through quite a few. So if you want to open your phones or if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke 4, verse 18. Sorry, Caroline, I didn't give you this one. But we're going to start by just looking at the person of Jesus. So as Jesus walked about in his ministry, here's the kind of things that happened. Okay, so this is what it looks like to bring heaven to earth. Famous passage, you've heard it before. We won't dwell too much on it because I want to move on to other things, but it's important to just start here. So uh, Jesus says from verse 18 of chapter 4 of Luke, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he's talking from Isaiah 61 there, and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, to him, this is him, stand scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is Jesus' manifesto, if you like. This is him standing up in front of the synagogue and saying, here is what I have come to do. I am fulfilling this prophetic word from Isaiah of the Messiah coming. And essentially, the whole of that passage there is about bringing heaven to earth. Let's have a look at a few of them. Um, proclaiming good news to the poor. So that is the literal poor and also the spiritual poor. It's the literal poor in the sense that you do not need to bring anything in order to be able to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is getting up here and he's announcing a new moment here, a new change in time. It's not just something that's going to happen on the edges. This is a whole different paradigm shift of what it means to be the people of God for Israel at the time. He's saying the time has come now and it's good news to the poor. You can't earn your way into this. You don't need to have anything in order to be able to obtain it. You come empty-handed and it's a gift that's received. So it's good news to the poor. He sent me to claim freedom for the prisoners. It lo- what it looks like when this happens is freedom. You start to find that you become free of some of the stuff that has imprisoned you before. So, for example, we talked a lot in the worship there about fear. Fear has this horrible habit, doesn't it, of imprisoning us. It stops us from being the people we're called to be. It stops us from being confident and being able to be out there and be the person that God has created us to be. And when the kingdom of God comes, we get set free from fear. We're no longer bound by it. In Isaiah, in the passage, it says, I bind up the brokenhearted. The things that keep us broken the whole time are suddenly healed. And we find healing in him. And we're allowed and enabled to become free. It's like we're walking into wide open spaces. He says, recovery of sight for the blind. This is something that happens when we become a Christian. We suddenly have our eyes opened to our need for a savior. And so we recognize Jesus as our Savior, as the only Savior, and we choose to put our trust in him. That's part of what happens when our eyes are open. But I think this is an ongoing thing that we have continually in our life. Because every single one of us in this room will have blind spots. We would have become Christians. We would have put our trust in Jesus. We'd be living our lives with him at the center. But this isn't something that happens at the beginning and then we just go on our life as normal. It is a constant process of what the Bible talks about of being being recreated in his image. So we have these blind spots in our life. If we allow the Holy Spirit, if we allow Jesus into the center, he starts to open our eyes to these different blind spots. So what's your blind spot? Because Jesus wants to open your eyes to it so 
that, he can bring the light in and he can heal you from all the effects of those blind spots. Do you know what my blind spot is? My blind spot was always that I absolutely hated control. I hated it if anyone ever tried to control me. This was after I became a Christian. I'd become a Christian and I was loving being a Christian. I was loving getting involved in the church. But I noticed again and again and again, when anyone tried to have authority over me or control me, I would rebel and I would kick back against it. And after a while, what I realized was, because friends pointed it out to me and the Spirit pointed it out, that was a blind spot in my life that I needed to deal with in order to become more free. And it was like the Holy Spirit just opened my eyes to it one day. And then I have this beautiful realization that actually if you come under the authority of Jesus, it is the most freeing thing you can ever possibly have and do and be. So what's your blind spot? We all have different blind spots. You don't need to have my blind spot. What's your blind spot? Because Jesus wants to open your eyes, open the eyes of the blind so that we can become the people we're created to be. So he also sets the oppressed free. This is the effect that it has when other people's sin causes oppression on us. Jesus comes to set us free from that oppression. And the whole thing is um, kind of summed up by this last line where it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus and Isaiah, they're pointing to this thing in Jewish culture called the year of Jubilee. And this is something that happened every 50 years in the nation of Israel. And what would happen is they would divide all the land up equally again. So over the 50 years, naturally inequality would start to come into the kingdom of God, come into the people of Israel. And so on the 50th year, they'd divide all the land up again equally amongst the people. Also, they would cancel all debts. So any debts that had been over those 50 years, totally cancelled on the 50th year. Also, any prisoners that had been put in jail, they would be set free on the 50th year. Can you imagine if you committed the crime on the 49th year and it was a 20-year sentence? How good would that feel? You're set free because what is that? It's unmerited grace. It's a sign. It's a taste, if you like, for the nation of Israel of what Jesus is bringing here, which is a gospel of mercy and grace. And guess what? Mercy and grace, it's not fair. Nothing about it is fair. Do you think the person who was owed money on the 49th year thought it was fair that the person who owed him money suddenly gets free of that debt? Nothing about it is fair. Why? Because it's grace. Because it's the grace of Jesus poured out on all. And so that was a taste. Jesus is saying, I'm here now and I'm going to bring this year of jubilee in and through me. Come to me and you'll experience the grace. So that's him proclaiming this manifesto. What does it look like for that to happen, to be lived out? Well, Luke tells us. He carries on. And from verse 31, Caroline, sorry, I know I didn't have this up. But you can follow it on your phones. This is a little taste of Jesus um, now living out, walking out that manifesto. Verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, something that was oppressing this person, something that was keeping this person imprisoned, unable to be free and himself and whole. Uh, it was an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to the impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. He goes on. Jesus then left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. 
At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and asked them not to, didn't allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Everything he's just spoken about in the synagogue there by quoting Isaiah 61. He must proclaim that to other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So... For three years of the ministry of Jesus. Remember, the ministry of Jesus only lasted three years before he died on the cross, he's resurrected, and then he ascended to the Father. For three years, Jesus did very little other than preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. He also prayed, and there's a lot of that in the gospels. He explained his teaching to his followers, and then crucially, he prepared his disciples, his followers, to do the stuff that he did. But really, other than that, there's not a lot. So, Isaiah 61 that's a direct, this is what Isaiah 61 looks like, lived out in and through a person. And here's the thing. We are supposed to be living out that same calling on our lives. We're supposed to be healing the sick. We're supposed to be casting out demons. We're supposed to be delivering people. We're supposed to be helping people set free from imprisonment. We're supposed to be taking the oppressed and bringing them out in liberation. We are supposed to be opening the eyes of the blind, being good news to the poor, declaring the year of the Lord's favor, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. What's the kingdom of God? It's right Righteousness, peace, and joy. It's right relationship with God as our Father. It's peace that goes beyond any of the circumstances that we're currently experiencing. And it's joy. It's this deep, unrivaled joy that can't be taken from us. So, if we're supposed to do the same thing, this is a question that we should be asking of Jesus and of the Bible and of our faith. How did Jesus do what he did? If he expects us to do it, cast out demons, heal the sick. Declare the year of the Lord's favor. How did Jesus do what he did? Anyone got an answer for that? How did Jesus do what he did? You can shout it out. He prayed. Thank you. What did you say? By the power of the Spirit. You're all too good. You know what you're doing. This is, I mean, most people say, but you guys didn't because you're far too advanced in your faith. Most people say Jesus did what he did because he was God. A lot of Christians think that. The only way that Jesus was able to live out Isaiah 61 there to show us what the, the year of the Lord's favor really looks like is because he was divine. Now, the thing is, that is both true and also not quite true. Because if the only way he was able to do that kind of stuff was because he was the son of God, that doesn't leave much hope for us, does it? Because we are not Jesus. And so therefore, it's very hard for us to see how we can do the same thing. And also, theologians talk about this thing called kenosis. Kenosis is inherent in the incarnation. It's in God become man. And the idea of kenosis is that Jesus emptied himself of some aspects of divinity. So for example, omniscience, which is a big theological word. All it means is Jesus wasn't everywhere at once at one time. He was limited to his physical body on earth. He also emptied himself of omnipotence, um, which is all-powerful at all time. And there's some, gonna, some examples I'm going to talk about in a second about that. Notice he didn't empty himself of sinless perfection. So he was sinless. He never sinned. But there are some aspects of God as the creator that Jesus emptied himself of. For example, in Luke 2.52, we're told that Jesus grew in understanding. Has anyone watched The Chosen? Yeah. 
So, uh, nobody's told me about The Chosen. Why didn't you tell me about The Chosen? Seriously. How long has it been? It's been out forever. Nobody, I worked for a church and nobody told me about The Chosen. I was watching The Chosen. It's beautiful in the way that it portrays this. Kenosis, really. In the way you see the humanity of Jesus. In Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in understanding. I don't think they're making that up. I think he really grew in understanding. In Matthew 8.10, it says that he was amazed at the faith of the centurion. I don't think he was play acting there. I think he was genuinely amazed. Jesus was amazed. He didn't know. Matthew 15, he asked how many loaves there are. I don't think he was playing a game. I don't think he knew, so he asked. That means he wasn't all-knowing at that moment in time. Mark 15, he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? This isn't a game that Jesus was playing throughout the Gospels. This is him having emptied himself of certain attributes of the Godhead so that he could closely identify with us. So the key question for us is, why did he empty himself in this way? Well, he emptied himself in this way because it is incompatible with humanity. It is what it means to be the creator and not the created. Now, obviously, Jesus is the creator. He is eternal, and so therefore, he was there at the beginning. But when he came, he, he was in the incarnation. He became flesh. He emptied himself of these things. Why? Because he wanted to identify with us. He wanted to show us what it is like to be truly human. So this is good news and bad news for us. It's good news because Jesus is the same as us in kind. And so therefore, if we pay attention to the, some of the things I'm going to talk about in a second, we can see the same or some of the measure of what Jesus did on earth in our own lives and ministry. But he is different from us in degree. See how Jesus ne em never emptied himself of sinless perfection. He never sinned once, whereas we do all the time, don't we? Let's be honest with ourselves. And so therefore, there is a, there is a, a sense in which Jesus is different from us in degree. He is perfect in every way. So it's good news and bad news. So still the question remains, if the, if the, if the only answer to how did Jesus do what he did isn't because he was the son of God, how did he do what he did? Because I think if we pay attention to some of the reasons and the things that he had underlying his ministry, then we can see some of the same stuff happen in our life. Because let's face it, does our life currently look like that couple of um, passages in Luke 4? Everywhere we go, people are bringing sick people to us to heal them. Does it currently look like that? No. Demons coming out of people all the time. Does it look like that? I mean, it doesn't look like that for me. But does it look like that all the time? No. But it should. Here's the weird thing about what we're reading here in the Gospels, it should, that should be normal. So there's something that Jesus is doing here so as to be the model of what true humanity looked like that is worth paying attention to. And I think one of the keys is in the baptism of Jesus. So this is the passage, Caroline, sorry, that I actually gave you. It's Matthew 3, and it says this. Before this point, Jesus did nothing, absolutely nothing. So 30 years of his life, there's another thing that comes out in The Chosen. He was a carpenter. He was a son. There was lots of miraculous stuff that happened around his birth. But then for 30 years, not a lot happened. Then he was baptized. And then Isaiah 61, quoted in the synagogue, explosion of the kingdom of God in and through him. Amazing things happening. And what is the turning point? The turning point here is his baptism. So chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And then bang, ministry of Jesus begins. Healing, deliverance, declaring the year of the Lord's favor, opening the eyes of the blind, good news for the poor, the oppressed are set free. So what is it that happens in his baptism there? And how can we see the same thing happen in our life so that we get a measure of the ministry of Jesus in our own life? Well, there's three, I believe, unseen foundations here that you can thread throughout the rest of the gospel that starts here in the baptism. Firstly, Jesus shows obedience. Obedience to God as his father. So, verse 15, John says this. Sorry, 14. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So what was the baptism that John the Baptist was giving here in the wilderness. It was a baptism of repentance, of forgiveness for those who had sinned. So Jesus, sinless, perfect in every way. Did Jesus need the baptism that John was giving? Absolutely not. Who knew that? John knew that. Because when Jesus comes to him, he says, you don't need this baptism. You should be baptizing me. And he talks later, doesn't he? In another gospel, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't need his sins forgiven. He's there to take away the sins of the world. So what's going on here when he's baptized by John? Well, I believe part of what's going on is he's being obedient to what God is asking him to do. He goes into the wilderness to find John, and he's baptized. And I think it's symbolic. Theologians debate about exactly what's going on here. But I think what's happening when he's baptized by John, it's symbolic of what he is about to do on the cross as he takes upon himself the sin of the world and he destroys the power of it because he is sinless on the cross because of his blood spilt in his sacrifice. And so when he's going under the water, he's not repenting. He's showing what he's about to do later on in the story on the cross as he offers forgiveness for us. So Jesus is led by the Spirit. He's perfectly obedient to his Father. And we see this throughout the Gospels. So his favorite self-designation as um, God is as the Son of Man, which is sometimes translated as suffering servant. So theologians, theologians talk about Jesus as the suffering servant. Now, I don't think you choose to suffer. Do you think anyone here would choose to suffer? No. I think Jesus suffers because he's being obedient. Suffers even to death. Obedient, doesn't Paul says, even to death on a cross. And we know at that point, he says in the garden, before he gets to the cross, he's, ang- he's, he's really struggling with this issue of obedience. He's really struggling to follow through what he knows Jesus, God is calling him to do. And he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. It's perfect obedience to his father. Jesus did some amazing things in the gospel. Incredible things in the gospels. John 5, he says this. Incredible same. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. I only do what I see the Father doing. What's he saying? He says, I'm obedient to God. I'm obedient to God as my Father. I am showing you how to walk in this anointing of being good news to the poor, of declaring the year of the Lord's favor, and it starts with obedience. Luke 5, 17, this bizarre verse where it says, the power of the Lord was present to heal, and so Jesus healed. That suggests that there were other times when the power of the Lord wasn't. In Luke 5, just before Luke 5, Jesus sees the multitude of those who are lame and unable to walk. 
loads of them, multitudes, loads of them. He goes to one of them, and he heals the one person. Whereas in other places, you see him healing everybody. What's going on there? Well, John 5 follows that healing miracle. And I think he's explaining really what's just happened. He's just following what the Father's doing. He's trying to follow the Holy Spirit the whole time. So how do we apply this into our life? If Jesus did what he did because he showed a perfect obedience to the Father, what do we need to take note of? Well, we need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to hear the voice of God and obey and put it into practice. Notice that Jesus prayed a lot. He goes up to the mountainside. He gets up early in the morning. Why does he do that? He does that because he's praying to his Father in heaven. He's showing us how to have that relationship, that connection with God, whereby we can obey what he's asking us to do. The disciples noticed that Jesus spent a lot of time praying, and they asked him how to do it, and that's where the Lord's Prayer comes out. So for us, as we're trying to live out the ministry of Jesus in our own lives, prayer is clearly very, very important because it's in and through prayer that we start to hear the voice of God. And so therefore, we're able to obey what God is asking us to do. So one of the most important things you'll do in your day is put aside time so as to pray. You can read your Bible a bit, you can worship a bit, but really you want to leave space so that you can hear the voice of God. And Anne is going to speak next week in the morning, actually, about different ways in which we hear the voice of God. But, and, and there's lots of different ways. But the primary ways, if I'm honest, is through the Bible and prayer. If you're reading your Bible, God will speak to you. You'll know because things out of the Bible will jump out of you as you're having your quiet time or whatever it is you want to call it. There'll be things that just seem to just apply directly to your life in that moment. When you're praying, you'll start to learn how God speaks to you. I often like to think it's a little bit like noticing a different color. When you receive the Holy Spirit and you start to see evidence of the Spirit all around you, it's like you've just suddenly discovered or someone's just shown you a color that you'd never seen before, like green. You never knew green existed. Someone shows you green, and then all of a sudden your eyes are open. You see green everywhere you go. You're like, green, oh, that's green. That's that new color, green. It's a little bit like that with the voice of God. When you hear it, you start to notice how he speaks to you. It's often unique and, and personal for you. But it will probably come through the Bible and it will come through prayer. But there will be other ways as well. So learn how to pray. But don't just learn how to pray. Learn how to then put what you think God is asking you to do into action. And that takes obedience. If we want to see the same stuff that Jesus did happen in and through us, we need to show obedience. Second unseen foundation we see here in the baptism is he experienced the love of the Father. So it says this, verse 17, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We often point this out, but I think it's really important to take note of this. Up until this point, Jesus has done nothing. So the love of the Father that he receives there, his pride in him is not based on his performance. It's not like three years later, you see everything that Jesus has done, the incredible obedience that he's shown, the suffering that poured out on the cross. God then says, oh, I'm really proud of you because you've done so well there. You've done it. In fact, I love you so much because of all that you've just... No, it happens at the start, before he's even started doing his ministry. God says to him, you are my son. I love you. And it's unconditional because you can't earn it. With you, I am well pleased, and it's the same for us. Everything that we do has to come from that place of knowing that we're unconditionally loved by God. Otherwise, we're going to think we're trying to earn it the whole time. 
And when, as soon as we get into that cycle of trying to earn it, it becomes incredibly difficult for us to minister like Jesus. Love makes us dangerous. Notice how throughout the Gospels, Jesus is moved with compassion and then he heals. So there's loads of healings in the Gospel. And it says that Jesus was moved with compassion and then he lays his hand and the person is healed. Now that word compassion is like a gut moving compassion. He feels it, his love for that person just suddenly comes upon him and he heals. So it should be for us. So how do we experience more of the love of our Father? Well, I think we open ourselves and, and leave space to experience, experience more of the love of our Father. Again, it comes back to setting aside time. I really do think it's as simple as that. We leave time in our day where we're silent or we have worship music on, where we open ourselves and we ask God, would you show me your love? And again and again, I promise you, again and again, he'll fill you with his love. Another good way of doing it is forgiveness. Brilliant way to receive the love of the Father is to live out the gospel, which is to come to Jesus and say, God, would you forgive me for this? And watch how he forgives you, he restores you, he heals you. And then he chooses to forget what you did in the very first place. And when he looks up on you, he sees his son Jesus, who's perfect in every way. If that's not love, I don't know what is love. Another great way to experience the love of the Father is to testify, to give testimony. To declare and to speak out all the amazing things that he's done for us. The ways in which he has come through for us, his provision. We experience his love in and through that. Love makes us dangerous. The more we know we are loved unconditionally by him, the more of the ministry of Jesus we will notice in our own lives. So third thing, first is he showed perfect obedience. It's primarily through prayer. He hears the voice of God and he puts it into action. Secondly, he experiences the love of his father, unconditional love, and he's filled to overflowing. And it's that compassion that moves in and through him so that he sees others also experience our love. Third thing is he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. When he quotes Isaiah, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Anointing is just a fancy word for, I have a purpose, but I don't just have a purpose. I have the power by which I can see that purpose happen. And what's the power? The power is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's been filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. Jesus was filled without measure with the Spirit. So if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to see the stuff happen that we see in the Gospels, how much more do you think we need the Holy Spirit? I'm going to guess a lot more. A lot, lot more. So how do we do this? How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? We leave space. I mean, it's the same. It's so simple. We leave space for God to fill us with his Spirit. Again, and again, and again, to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone said to me the other day, because we do, as you know, we do ministry up here at the end of every service, and said, they said, I guess the aim is that you get to a point where nobody needs ministry anymore, and it's not happening. And I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I think we need ministry, which is being filled with the Holy Spirit, again, and again, and again, and again. Because as we give out, as we move in the power of the Holy Spirit, we need them filling again. And again, and again, and again. If I could, if I wasn't leading ministry, I'd be up here every single day receiving ministry. In fact, I do. I wake up and I do it on my own, which, by the way, you can do. 
It doesn't take any special people to be able to do it for you. You just wake up, you leave space, and you ask God to fill you with the Spirit. And I promise you, he will fill you with his presence and his love and his Spirit. He'll empower you for what he's asking you to do in the end. I, sometimes I just think churches, we love to pray for revival, don't we? Um, often what we mean by revival is we mean renewal. So renewal is people on fire in the church building, right? Revival is when non-Christians out there experience God and then go looking for a church to find out what on earth it's all about. Renewal is like, they talk about the charismatic renewal, don't they? Which is where um, the Spirit is just poured out in, in incredible ways in the church. And it's happened again and again over the history in our lifetime in the church. And people often say, we're just praying for the renewal. We want the renewal of the church again. Really, all I think renewal is, you might disagree with me on this, but that doesn't matter. I've got the mic. All I think renewal is, is a bunch of people choosing to open themselves more to the Holy Spirit. Just because it's hard, isn't it, to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit? Because life is busy. Because we don't want to. Because we're, we're too constrained. But renewal is where a body of people, it's why it often starts in, in one particular church and then everyone comes to it. It's just opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Because I don't think God is um, withholding the Spirit and he's waiting for us to pray for renewal and then it will come when we pray for it. I think he always wants us to give it. How much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He tells his disciples to pray that. So I think what's the problem is us. I don't think it's God. We don't need to pray for it. We just need to spend more time opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Then we'll see renewal. Revival, different matter. Um, we can pray for that too because we want that. Um, I remember in my previous church, uh, there was a time of renewal in the church, as many churches were experiencing. And I, we just started to see some of the ministry of Jesus here that we read about in Luke 4 just happen all of the time. There was one guy called Jeremy who was incredibly open to the Holy Spirit. And after one particularly powerful evening at church, he went to the pub as we all did after there, and we were just socializing and obviously mixing with lots of different people who weren't from church. And he stood next to somebody who's come in just for a quiet pint in the evening with his mate. And he turns to him and he says, have you ever experienced God? And the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so the guy just says, we'll experience his love now. And he hits the floor, total non-Christian, never been to church. And he starts rolling around on the floor in the pub. As he exits the pub, he's going to his car and somebody with a baseball bat takes a swing as it head. He's never met this guy before in his life, swing at his head and hits the window and the window of the car smashes. What's happening there? That's a power encounter. It's the kind of stuff that happens to Jesus here. There's power encounters going on left, right and center. And it's because he's opened himself to the Holy Spirit. There's these power encounters going on all the time in his life. I don't think we need to pray for it. I think we need to just open ourselves more to the Holy Spirit. I think we need to set aside more time just to open ourselves. I think we need to prioritize And I'm, I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else. Maybe we don't binge Netflix, and instead we sit in silence and ask for the Spirit, more of the Spirit. So what are we um, to do? Well, here's a little summary of Matthew, and I'll end with this. Um, Act one of Matthew is Matthew saying, hey, here's this guy, Jesus. He's the Son of God. And here's lots of witnesses to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Act 2 of Matthew is here's some of his teaching. This guy is the Son of God. And by the way, it's the Sermon on the Mount. That's really a summary of the life of Jesus. Act 3 is here's some miracles to back up. And there's some whoppers in there. There's resurrections from the dead. Act 4 is here's Jesus getting other people to do what he just did. And they come back rejoicing because they see exactly the same thing happen. Act 5, this is Jesus completing his mission on the cross. He dies on the cross so that all those 
those who look to him are filled beyond measure with the Holy Spirit themselves and see the same thing happen. And then Acts 6 is the resurrection and the commission. So famous passage in Matthew 28. He tells his disciples to go to every nation, make disciples of every nation, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Do you think in the everything, it includes healing the sick, casting out demons, setting the oppressed free, releasing the prisoner, opening the eyes of the blind, declaring good news to the poor, and declaring the year of the Lord's favor? I think it probably does. I mean, it includes lots of other things, but I think Seen as Jesus spent a lot of his time doing that kind of stuff, it includes that. So how do we see more of that happen? More healing as we pray for people for healing. More miracles, more deliverance, more of the oppression set free, more people restored. I think we pay attention to some of those unseen foundations. We learn to pray. We learn to step out in obedience. We learn to open ourselves more and more to the love of God as our Father. And we ask to be filled again and again and again with this Holy Spirit. And then, there's many other things, but that's just some of them. As we start to do, to be honest, we could do those three things and I think we'll be all right. I mean, there's, lots of, there's a few other things, like forgiving people, that would be good. But I think it probably starts with those things because God will tell you to forgive people if you open yourself to him and pray and he'll ask you to be obedient to that. I think then what we'll start to see is the church filling everything in every way which is what God is asking us to do, is to be his presence, made in his image and his likeness, carrying his love and his power out into the world and seeing it happen. So let's spend some time waiting on the Spirit. Should we stand? And which of those three things do you need to pay attention to? The Holy Spirit will be prompting you on one of them. Is it prayer? Is it obedience? Is it receiving his love? Is it being filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's shut our eyes so we're not distracted. Open our hands and we're just going to ask for God to speak to us. And then we're going to respond. Sarah shared a word at the beginning about um, a specific, what was it? A specific ministry or something. Specific prayer assignment? Okay, fine. Okay, great, fine. So someone here with a specific prayer assignment, and tonight it's going to be like God is upgrading your prayer. There'll be others of us here, and God has been telling us to do something for a while, and we've been resisting it. And tonight's an opportunity to show obedience. There'll be many of us here who need to experience the unconditional love of God as our Father. There'll be a number of us here who have projected onto God our experience of our earthly fathers or mothers. And God wants to come now and heal us from those experiences and show us who he really is. Thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, we ask for more. More of your presence now. More of you.
Jesus, thanks for that.